You're listening to the Movement Church New York City podcast. To learn more about our church, including our gathering times and more, be sure to check out our website at movementnyc.org. Mike, so good to be with you guys. You guys doing good today? No longer the morning, though it feels like morning for me on California time. But get ready, guys, because now I've had my coffee. First service, I kind of had, but I was still like, that's when I'm waking up. So I'm ready to roll. I'm excited to be with you guys. I'm typically excited when I get the privilege and honor uh, to share from the Word of God. I think this is the most important book on the planet, and it'll never change. So it's an honor to be with you guys and to go after Jesus in the Word. And I just want to say one thing about um, Mike. When I met him, he had come to, to our Sick Writer community, and we hold these prayer gatherings. We call it Greenhouse, but we have prayer gatherings three times a week for a couple hours, open to the community, open to everybody, where we just we pray, worship, and we intercede. And uh, Mike approached me after one of the sets, and I, just, uh, I could see in his eyes like he was just burning for Jesus and for revival. And we connected, and we've done a few things, um, sick writers and with Mike in San Diego, but uh, I just felt like a burning heart for revival. So when he put out the invite, I was like, man, I would love to come uh, and get to know Movement NYC and what God is doing here. In any way that I could serve it, it'd be an honor, because I just honor the revival heart that you carry. I just believe that y'all's pastor really is carrying a burning heart of revival. And so that's a joy to be around. It's a privilege to be around. And so thank you for having me. It's, it's fun. Um, some of you... I could tell you, not, maybe not everybody, um, and that's okay, had heard of my wife, Lindy, as well, and I said this in the first service, but I'll say it again, I can see some of you are mad at me, because she's not here. <laughs> so you have to go Bible, though, you have to forgive me, sorry. Um, but she will normally be with me, and so would our two kids. We have two four-year-olds. We normally always travel together but the fall is kind of our busiest time of the year and so um she sent me out here i get to sneak out and be with you guys this morning which is honor hopefully not the last hopefully next time i'll get to bring the the whole tribe also it's not just four of us we got a fifth on the way thank you lord so i just slept as long as i could last night in that hotel just getting prepped and ready to go um my two boys are both four years old uh, so I sleep a little more than I did two years ago, but not that much. Um, and our, my oldest, uh, we fostered and then adopted him on his second birthday. He turns five tomorrow. So it'll be three years as a Kofer and his fifth birthday tomorrow, which is exciting. And then his younger brother is ten and a half months younger because we figured if we're starting a family, why not just double it? <laughs> so we did. And that was a wild choice and journey. And it's been really fun. Um, so that's a little about my family. I am from the great state of Florida originally. I still claim it. I'm the son of a tomato farmer. So coming to the city for 24 hours is about perfect before my mind melts and I'm overwhelmed. Um, so how many of you guys live in the city? I know you are true followers of Jesus. It takes a special grace, man, to roam. But honestly, though, I love the city. I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. I think it's ripe for the harvest. I think God is on the move, and I'm just so excited to join hearts with you today and just believe for God to move in our hearts, and hopefully it will be a seed, a deposit of faith for what God's already doing. I can feel it. You can see it in worship. There's such a beautiful culture of worship, um, and I'll make one quick comment on that. I love when I'm in a place that loves to worship. I'm a firm believer that, that those who worship have the main thing as the main thing. And when you make him the main thing and you exalt him, he's faithful to draw all men to himself. 
when you keep a culture of worship, like at the end of the day, we're not going to go um, to heaven just to get out of hell. We're going to go to heaven to know God intimately and in friendship, and we get to worship. So when you realize that worship is a joy and a privilege, man, you're living with what you're made for, and you're making a place for his presence to land. And when his presence lands, it's far more influencing and powerful than any good thing I can say. When we make a place for God's presence in the midst of our communities, it is the most inviting, drawing thing because every human heart is made for what? It's made for God. We are made for connection with God at our deepest place, and we're always unsatisfied until we have an authentic, real connection with Jesus. And so, I can't remember, what was her name? Anna from Ukraine. So beautiful, the story. But she said, worship is more than a song, but the song allows us to express what's in our heart of devotion and love for Jesus. And so, just want to honor, this is not just a team up here, though they are facilitating beautifully. I feel like you have an amazing team, we honor them. But this requires a whole church to grab a hold of the beauty of worshiping Jesus. So I just want to encourage you. I didn't say this in the first one, but I should have. I just, I feel it in my heart. I want to encourage you, keep going and establishing the place of his presence in praise and worship. I didn't plan on this. I'm just going to go off the cuff. For, can I go two minutes on a little bunny trail really quick? Then I'll jump in. Is three years ago, three years ago, I'd been on staff with our circuit rider missions committee. I've been a missionary for about uh, full-time support raising missionary for about 12, 13 years now. And about 10 years into that journey in circuit riders, which I'll share more in a second, um, COVID hits. We started praying in our house. Me, Lindy, we had some other girls on staff that lived with us. We just started praying every day because we didn't know what else to do. It was like, well, I could go to the backyard, come back in. What do you want to do? Uh, make some barbecue or if we could pray after worship, let's do it. So every night we started praying and worshiping and our friends started texting us like, you guys are acting like your own little missionary base at your house. And I'm like, well, what else are you going to do? And in about a week to 10 days of this, after every night we were seeking the Lord, praying, interceding, the presence of God started to fill our home in a tangible way. And I felt this grown as a full-time, and I'm in ministry for over 10 years, I was like, I felt like I was returning back to the main thing. And something in my heart said, it'd been the main thing, but there was a more in my heart. And the Lord said, I had to slow you down for a second, and I wanted to establish prayer and worship deeper in your heart, because without it, one, you weren't going to make it, but number two, I wanted to bring everybody in the community back to the heart of prayer and worship before mission. And what I was struck by is our entire community began to get rocked by the power of prayer and worship, even though we were a praying and worshiping community. But when we made room and said, hey, we're going to gather as a community these six hours a week, something began to happen where every single part, our university outreach, our high school outreach, our media department, everything started to get impacted by the presence of God. So this is a random money trail just to say what you guys are establishing is far more powerful than we're thinking. Our numbers have almost doubled since we started doing that three years ago. Our impact on campuses has gotten deeper. The amount of people getting saved, healed, delivered has gotten great. It's, it's the fruit has exploded, but I feel like it's the Lord has blessed us keeping Him the main thing. That no matter what happens, we're going to make a place. Sorry, that was a, a, a little bonus right there. Keep going. Because what New York City, sorry, I'm just going to keep going one more minute, I feel it. What New York City is longing for is a touch of the presence of God. And we need good theology and we need truth because truth cuts to the heart, right? 
But one moment in the presence of God is undeniable. One moment in the tangible presence of God will change the trajectory of somebody's life. And I'm gonna, we're going to look at it in the Bible. One moment in his presence has the ability to touch a whole city. So what you steward here and what's happening here not only has the possibility, it's worth it in and of itself. He's worthy. He's beautiful. He's worthy. But it also intrinsically has the ability to change the entire trajectory of a city. So keep going in the place of prayer and worship. I don't know if you guys can tell I had coffee. And I haven't eaten much, which means I, talk, I already talk fast because I get excited. I told the first service, people are like wondering, like, Chase, is this authentic, you know? Because I feel like New York wants authentic, right? It's like, if you're fake, we're going to call it out. Is this, is this authentic? Are you really this pumped about God? And people have asked me that throughout my life because typically in worship, I'm in praise, I'm jumping in, I'm, I'm all in. And I've had people say, like, Chase, is it, is it a little bit, come on, man, you put a little extra mustard on there? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, you're kind of going bananas sometimes. Like, is that, is that for really kind of hyping yourself up? I'm like, can you hype up God? Can you hype up a salvation that ripped me out of addiction to pornography? Can you hype up a salvation that ripped me out of bitterness towards my father? Can you hype up a relationship that gave me a love that was so satisfying. I don't care if anybody says I'm hype. I don't care what people say. It's for him. It's not for them. And there's a relationship that touched my heart that I don't want to turn down. We know the God of the universe. With a love that's stronger than culture. With a love that teaches the depths of human, that touches the depths of our human heart more than anything else could. Why would I ever turn down? In my response, because it's not from me, it's a love that touched my heart and changed everything about my entire life. So I am an excited person. You'll find out that my tone won't change that much. I, I've tried to discipline myself as a speaker to slow down at times. I heard it's better, but I get pumped. So <laughs> enjoy the ride today. So in Circuit Riders, uh, I'll just give you a quick background of the missionary organization. So we're about 200 staff in Southern California and Orange County, and our primary target is reaching a young generation on high schools and college campuses, though we do some other things in prisons and different deals now because we've grown. But we started as 10 people about 10 years ago with a big vision of wild-eyed revivalists crisscrossing the nation of America, going to the nations of the earth. The problem was is we knew nobody, but we had a word from prayer that God could do the impossible. So we started reaching out to one campus, our first gathering, too long of a story, had about a thousand students at the University of Southern California come. Quarterback tweeted it, this whole crazy miracle storyline. We stepped out in faith and we saw a hundred students give their life to Christ or recommit their life to Christ on our first major outreach. It was a seed of faith for us that God could take regular dudes that felt like, man, I'm just the son of a farmer. And my buddy's like, yeah, you know, like my dad's an insurance salesman. Yeah, we would just felt like very regular people, but with a God vision and prayer landed. We had a seed of hope, like, Lord, you want to touch this generation more than we're thinking. And most of the time, uh, our younger staff that's only been around a year or two, like, Chase, why are you so excited about what's happening in prayer and on Monday nights? And when we go, I was like, because it used to not be. <laughs> and I pioneered and I, I, I was discouraged sometimes. And now we're going to 400 different universities and high schools seeing salvation break out, seeing the power of God break out, and seeing God use a young generation 
to reach a young generation. So um, another reason why I can't turn down. It's been fun to be in Circuit Riders. I love it. Me and my wife, Lindy, help oversee our music department of about 30 full-timers. And, um, and yeah, that's what we do. Other thing I do is the send. Mike mentioned it. I just want to share, kind of share two quick testimonies before we jump into the scriptures. We're going to get there. I just wanted to connect hearts because um, I feel like if you know me a little bit and where I come from, it'll make sense why I talk the way that I do um, and what we go after. So with the send, the idea with the send is it's a worship and missions gathering. And our desire was that God would set this generation apart, young and old, to grab a hold of their personal missional calling within the Great Commission. How many of us know that the entire body of Christ has a missional calling? Yeah. It's not reserved for a stage or a microphone. Every single one of us has a missional calling that has said yes to Jesus. The Great Commission includes touching every sphere of society. Where God has placed you, that is a mission field. If you're working down the street, that's a mission field. If you get sent overseas, that's a mission. It's all, we're all living on mission. So the idea with the sin is can we do these gatherings and give people opportunity to worship Jesus in unity with a broader body and then say yes to four mission fields. We go after vulnerable children. Um, I could spend the whole time probably talking about that. I'm passionate about it. My oldest son uh, has got a great story because he was fostered and adopted. I'm, a, I'm passionate about the church being the solution to the foster care crisis. We go after high schools and universities because we believe that the greatest days of revival for high schools and university age students is now. Uh, we go after neighborhoods because neighborhoods are meant to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. Every single part of New York City reached with the gospel of Jesus. And we believe that the 3.1 billion unreached that, bear, that have hardly known the name of Jesus is one of the greatest injustices on the planet. We are passionate about God marking this generation for the unreached of the earth. It's an injustice that Jesus wants to change because every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around his throne one day worshiping him. What we experience will happen in every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the sin is going to play its small part in being a catalyst and an encouragement for others to grab a hold of their role in that journey. So we've done three arena gatherings. I'm the event director. I almost passed out in Boston because it was a lot of work. But a few quick testimonies just to encourage you, and then we'll go to the word. Uh, the state of Massachusetts and the state of Michigan, at those two arena gatherings, we worked with the state social services system. Because we really wanted to come alongside what's already happening. How can we serve um, existing ministries and the real need? And so working with social services, we made a call for those who would do wraparound care, which means that you would just wrap around foster families and those who need assistance and help. And then for actual, like those who like, man, I feel like one day soon or now, I want to consider being a foster parent. Both um, states told us after the event this was the most successful day we have had in our entire organization's history of recruiting new families to, be, to meet the need of the foster care crisis. I say that not because they say, like, wow, look at the sin. I say, no, look at the church. The body of Christ, I mean, you hear a lot of different things. I'm telling you, it's the everyday believer full of an uncommon God that can change the storyline of countless people's lives. And so I think the church is the hope for the 400,000 in the foster care system Sorry, I'm about to preach on that. Help me, Lord. Keep me focused. If one of every third church would take in a foster care kid the entire, in America, if one out of every third church would take in a kid, the system would be over in a day. One family out of every third church. It's possible. It's possible. The adoptable kids are 100,000. I'm not saying it's easy. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most life-changing thing me and my wife have ever done. It will continue to be something that we walk with Parker his whole life. 
And I'm embracing that cost. But I'm saying the church, anyway, I preached it. There we go. All right, bonus there. Bonus there. Other encouragements is high schoolers came in Boston from one church. The high schoolers established eight new Jesus clubs where there was formerly no, like, Jesus representation on campus. Where weekly they are meeting, getting the quick preach the gospel moment, and they are seeing students getting saved at these eight new clubs. That's a snapshot. It's fun. I love my life following Jesus. <laughs> it's not easy, but sometimes I share these testimonies, these stories at the beginning of a moment to remind myself because the cost is real. I'm not here to sugarcoat it and say that following Jesus is going to be easy every single day. I'm not here to say that your culture is going to receive you. I'm here to say that there is a beauty, though, and a glory to following the living God that is far greater than any test or trial that we could ever experience. There is a joy in it. So I remind myself, and I want you to know who I am, where I'm coming from. Excited to jump into the Bible. I forgot to set my timer again, so I have no idea how long I have. But this is second service, so... Here we go. You just get to jump along for the ride. All right. Don't worry. I only preach for like two, three hours usually. It should be easy. Um, some of you are like, see, for real? Find out. Okay. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5 if you have your Bible. If you just got your phone, you're allowed to do it. Just put an airplane mode, man. Come on, stay on track. All right. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Why am I turning there? I've been praying for you guys. And when I pray for you guys... I heard uh, a specific word from the Lord. Um, you guys ready for it? Yes. I heard Luke 5. And then I kept petitioning, Lord, come on. I need some more data. Luke 5. Lord, I don't normally preach that. That's not like my go-to message when I'm going to somewhere new. Luke 5. So the more I dug into this, though, I feel there's two primary things I feel the Lord wanted me to emphasize today. You'll see it as we jump in. But can we lean in with faith-filled, hungry hearts? Yes. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who approach Him, God, I believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So I believe that there is a reward when we earnestly seek God in Scripture. I don't want you to take anything real cool that I say. I want you to take everything that the Bible says and apply it to your heart, your life, because there is a reward when we earnestly seek the Lord in the Word of God. Sound good? Yes. Typically when I preach, I read a lot of Bible verses because I believe in the Bible. So here we go. Luke chapter 5. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, sharper than any word that I could say. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret, I never say it right, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Okay, so little context for this. Uh, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had already been moving in power. The context right before this is that he had already healed people. He had cast out demons. He had proclaimed, hey, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me. Jesus was moving in an unordinary amount of miracles and power. So words beginning to spread about him, right? And he's not teaching, the scriptures note this, he didn't teach like the scribes and teachers of the day. He taught as one having power and authority. So his teaching was like, man, I got to get there because when he speaks, it's different. When he speaks, it seems like the kingdom of heaven breaks in. When he speaks, it seems like there's a different power. It's like as if God himself is with this guy. When he talks, it's different. And the book of Luke, remember, this is book one of two written by a Gentile doctor. So I connect with that, man. He's Gentile, me too. But it's written by Luke.
to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus and the birth of the early church. So Luke is like book one, Acts is like book two. That's a little context about where we're at, okay? So he saw two boats by the lake, the fishermen had gone out of them. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I love this picture that so many people are crowding around. He's like, I just need a place to be able to talk right now. And I love picturing like this is one of the beginning moments of Jesus and Peter's journey. We find out a little bit, Peter had been fishing all night long. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, jump on back in the boat and why don't we put out a little bit? Peter's probably like, man, I'm, I'm a little tired, dude. I'm cleaning the nets, man. I was working. But I love this picture is that as he puts out, you got a picture. It's Jesus, and this is like Peter's moment. He's hearing this man speak with a different authority. Peter's hearing this message. is like, man, this is hitting different. There's something about this Jesus where he is different than everybody else. And he's sitting right next to him in the boat. This is one of Peter's first encounters moments with Jesus, right? When he had finished speaking, he, sat, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I said this for a service, I'll say it again. If I'm Peter, I'm a pro fisherman. My dad's a fisherman. Back in the day, if you had a trade like this and this is what your family did, like this is what you did. You knew it in and out. Like this was your profession. This is where you had survival. Like, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to fishing. Now, we know Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man. Jesus did not grow up as a fisherman. He grew up as a carpenter. We know that from the scriptures. Like, so Jesus is asking a pro to do something totally counterintuitive to what he would have been used to. It would have been counterintuitive to what he wanted to do. It would have been totally against what his flesh probably said to do. He's probably tired. He probably is like, man, what are you talking? Like, bro, go build something, carpenter. Get back with Joseph, man. Go, I, I heard what you did. Or stick with the speaking thing, because when you speak, man, I like that. But when it comes to fishing, th this is my domain, right? But I love Peter's response, because the first part, I feel like he's kind of a verbal processor, me too, so here we go. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So not only was it like not a good night of fishing, zero, caught nothing. What a picture for what's about to happen for Peter's life. He's got... There's maybe zero going for him. Maybe a dead end. He's not sure what's going to happen. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Man, when you talk to Jesus, there was a different authority on it. There's something in you and how you, there's something about you. I'm going to go against what I think I should do. I'm going to obey you in one simple act of obedience. I'm going to trust you right now. And I'm going to put down my net. Isn't it so often that the Lord will speak something counterintuitive to us in our relationship, our friendship with him? I just want you to talk to this one guy. He's so far from God. No, no, Chase, trust me. Just, just try. I might get beat up, Lord. I haven't been in the gym lately, man. <laughs> trust me. Try. There's these little counterintuitive things that the Lord will do where a situation looks hopeless or looks impossible, the Lord will give us one simple act of obedience, right? And how often are we like, man, you know what, Lord, I think you're crazy, but here I go. 
Or on the flip side, you're like, man, Lord, I think you're crazy, so I'm out. Right? There's always that invitation from Jesus. Put your net down. Watch what happens. So Peter does it. He obeys, right? When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Can't you almost just see, like, Jesus smiling? I'm not just going to give you a couple. You're going to get so much, the nets that you currently have, that you and your partners have fashioned to this point in your life, the nets that you guys have figured out aren't even going to be enough to hold what I want to give you. I got so much I want to give you that what you've got right now isn't big enough. And all of a sudden, it's like they're bringing in the fish, but their nets start breaking. They signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. Not just nets breaking, boat sinking. Don't you just feel like Jesus enjoyed James and John coming out? They're like, hey, get your buddies out here. You don't know the journey, but guess what? You're about to sink under the weight of my ministry. What you're used to, man, when I get on the boat with you, there's so much that comes along with it. It's about to change everything about your whole life. Let me on the boat and watch what happens. So much fish, so much blood, so much of me. It's going to blow your mind what happens when you obey me, even one word. Load up. It's sinking. Whoa. We're bringing it back to shore, right? Well, the story gets crazier then. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I really connect with this response from Peter. Because there's times when the Lord draws near, and I'm like, how could you draw near to me? I know my list. I know my stuff. I know my great needs for sanctification. I know what's going on. Lord, why are you giving me the grace of your presence? Why are you pouring out love in my life? Why would you? Lord, sometimes there can be that thing in our heart that says, Lord, don't draw any closer. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. But you know what? I feel like a lot of times the Lord has come after me in this one because I've said that to him before. Like, Lord, how could you? He said, Chase. Quit making your sin bigger than my blood. I want to forgive you. I paid for it. I want to love you. I paid for it. I want you in my family. That's why I went to the cross. Quit resisting it and trying to religiously perform your way back into how relationships should look. Receive what I want to give you. Quit saying depart. Say receive. Repent from your old way and say, I need you. I need to receive, right? So I can connect with Peter, but at the same time I go, I think the Lord is wanting to draw near to our hearts way more than we're thinking. He picked a fisherman. He picked a tax collector. Let's keep going. For he, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Everyone say, get ready. You know when Jesus says, do not be afraid, something's coming. Hey, don't worry. I'm not, Lord. I'm feeling good. You call out fish. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to be full. This seems like a party for everybody who's here. Why would I be afraid? Hey, Peter, don't be afraid. And then you see in his eyes, like, something's coming. There's an ask. Grace abounds. Salvation's a gift. It's free. He accomplishes it. But there's an ask coming to be a follower of Jesus. There's an ask. 
a true follower of Jesus, there's an ask that's coming from Jesus. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Not really a question, more of a statement. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. First thing that I want to encourage Movement NYC is, I feel this is a place of discipleship. This is a room full of real authentic disciples. And I feel there was a simple reminder and encouragement from Jesus on the journey of discipleship that there's an invitation to surrender every day to Jesus. There's an invitation to leave everything and follow him every single day. There's an invitation to count the cost when it's hard, when it's difficult, when we don't feel like it, when circumstance is difficult. There's an invitation still from Jesus, like, would you leave everything and follow me? Now, leaving everything might not mean that you leave the city and go move to a foreign land. Leaving everything might mean that you're leaving your reputation behind and being willing to be bold for Jesus. Leaving everything might be willing to be like, man, actually living in the city is everything. It cost me everything to live one month here. <laughs> leaving everything might look like a bunch of different expressions for your own journey with Jesus, but I want you to be sensitive today of, Lord, what does it look like for me to continue to leave everything and follow you? Because this is what it means to be a believer. It's not just saved, it's follow. The salvation's a free gift, but the following will cost us everything. But can I tell you something? The more that I have said yes to the follow, the more I have got to know the one that saved me. The more that I've said yes to leave everything and to follow, the more I've encountered a friendship that I had longed for. The more I realize on the other side of cost, there really wasn't that much of a cost when you're thinking about things in light of eternity. This life is but a vapor. It's so quick. So in light of life, I just feel like any cost that the Lord presents, if I do it begrudgingly, I usually have like a bummer time. But if I receive by faith the invitation of laying down costs, surrendering to discipleship at the Lord's pace, what he wills for my life, man, the other side has been great friendship with the living God. Can we do one more story? My gut sense is that I think that this church is going to explode in discipleship. I think that you're going to call men and women, because I think you're fishers of men and women. I know Pastor Mike, I get it, he is, but I'm telling you, I think this church is full of fishers of men and women, because I think it's full of disciples already for Jesus. And my first encouragement is run as wildly after a surrendered life to Jesus as you want. Even the good things. I, this is silly, but I feel to share it. Sometimes I feel like the Lord challenges me with how much I read sports articles. I love it. I grew up loving it. I would play anything. I was into everything. I follow every single team in Florida. I just, I'm like a diehard. I won't even talk about it because I'll make enemies, but into it. And then there's times where I feel the Lord's like, dude, I don't know if you got to do that 30 minutes every night. And it's not a bad thing, but I feel the Lord's like, I want more of you. I want time with you. I want you to know my heart a little bit more. And there's times I've heard the Lord saying, like, even good things. I know it's a silly example. But sometimes we need those practical ones to make it real. Where the Lord's saying, like, would you give up things that are even good so that we can go deeper in the place of friendship and discipleship? Put anything. Make it available. He might not say much to you. He might just look at you and say, you're on fire. That's good to hear that some days. And there might be some things where the Lord's like, hey, that's actually not a good thing. You got to give me that addiction. Hey, is having a smartphone really worth an addiction? Hey, 
can we change the story? Can we, can we give him? Anyway, let's keep going. We'll come back to this at the end. How much time do I got? Perfect. Only have three more stories, guys. <laughs> okay, now, typically when I'm preaching, these are the stories in the book of Mark that I love to, to preach out of. I, I, I don't know, just the way I'm wired is, I know that I'm wired with faith. I've seen God do the miraculous. I, uh, one of the leader of our ministry, the, the guy, um, his wife, she had 38 years uh, condition of Lyme disease and bedridden most of her life. And I saw with my own eyes her get radically healed after 38 years of Lyme disease in 2019. She hasn't been bedridden since. It was a miracle. I've seen healing miracles for real. I've seen salvation things that blew my mind. I know God likes to move in power. And so I want to read one more story because in the midst of God moving in power, I feel like there's one key to living a lifestyle of moving in the kingdom power of Jesus that I feel like God wants to encourage you guys to keep going. This is the second thing I'm going to encourage, but let's do the story first. When he was in one of the cities, this is right after he calls his guys. So just picture Peter, James, and John are now on the journey with Jesus. And this is one of like their intro times with him. So you just picture, like, this is the first time you're following this guy. This is what you get to experience in one of the first days. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Before I read the exciting part of the verse, this is a dynamic story. This is different than a lot of Jesus' healing miracles, and it's listed in most of the gospel accounts because this would have been a, like, a dynamic moment where Jesus is revealing not just his power over sickness, but he's revealing himself as a fulfillment of the law. In those times, if you were a leper, that meant that you would have been outside of the community, declared unclean. And some would even say that you would have had to like announce that you were unclean if clean people were coming. You'd be like, unclean, un like you'd have to let people know that you weren't clean. But this leper, who would have been ostracized by community, an outcast, outside of everything, he hears about this Jesus who heals the sick, delivers demons, and he's like, man, this guy's different than the teachers of this day. If he's around, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he's desperate. Do you think he cared about what the disciples thought? When he comes before and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Do you think he was desperate to get out of his situation? Desperate to get out of his current state of life? Well, Jesus has an opportunity right here. Like, well, leprosy, I... I can't, you know, as a teacher, technically I would become unclean if I touch him. But what does Jesus do? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus is declaring, I have power over sickness and the fulfillment of the law is here before you. There was one coming, there was a Messiah coming and this leper got a revelation, oh, he's here. He was willing to get in to the leper's mess, willing to take the risk of being associated with a leper, willing to take the risk of what others might say about him, saying, I'm going to touch this guy because he needs healing. He needs somebody to reach out and touch him. He's been alone. He's been an outcast. He feels unsatisfied with life. I'm going to reach out and touch him. I wonder how many people that you guys are already doing this are in this city that are just waiting for somebody to reach out and touch their heart. Say, I see you. I know you think I'm a crazy Jesus person, but I love you. And that so many in the city are just waiting for that person to reach out 
in touch with the heart of Jesus, with the love of Jesus. The story goes on. Immediately the leprosy left him. He charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is backwards. If I see a healing, I'm like, whoa, tell everybody. Just because I'm excited. Sometimes it's childlike and it's pure. Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. The cross is waiting for me. Not my time yet. I know what's in the heart of man. As soon as my fame spreads, I know what's in the heart of man. He's like, don't tell anybody. For me, I'm like, one power moment, I'm like, get a billboard, put it on the gram, let everybody know, power's breaking out. It's on. I think Jesus was wiser than that. Because he knew that even healing and miracles wasn't going to turn hearts, it was the word of God. He was after hearts. He was after people knowing the Father, right? And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Okay. Now, this seems like a random verse in here if you're just kind of reading through, but it's not at all. This is the, the second thing that I want to encourage you, Movement NYC, to press in. I know I'm almost out of time, but I want you to encourage, like, I know this is a culture here. I know it's a culture of discipleship, but I want to encourage you this next thing. I feel like this is going to be at the heartbeat of what I feel like is coming for this church. I feel like there is going to be so many souls saved. I feel like there's going to be so many people discipled and touched. But I think that this is at the heart of every one of us living a life that is whole before Jesus. Here it is. You ready? Talking about Jesus. He's our model. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus was modeling something to his guys right away. That the source of everything that's happening, healing, kingdom, preaching, there is a source, and it's not me. I'm submitted to the Father. There was a recovery that Jesus only experienced in relationship with his Father. There was a rest. There was a peace. There was a joy. There was something where he knew for him to be him, he had to go be with the Father because the scriptures make it clear. He only did what, what? He saw the Father doing. Our lives, I'm telling you, there is a destiny over every person's life in the room. There are things far beyond what we're asking or thinking even right now that God wants to put his hand in our life to advance his kingdom far greater than we're even thinking. I can only say that confidently because at 35, I feel like I've lived most of my dreams already and I feel the Lord's like, you weren't dreaming big enough, dude. You gotta get away in prayer and really know my heart. You gotta come deeper and so, my encouragement is this, I just, I realized the power of prayer these last few years more than ever, and I saw it in a very tangible way. At 19, I started praying for my dad and my brother's salvation, and I started praying with all my heart, and I started off hot, and it kind of waned, and then got a little better, and then kind of went, and I feel like I got disappointed at times, because I feel like, man, I didn't see the transformation, God, that I feel like I, I was believing for, and I feel like you promised, and then sometimes it would come back around, I'm going to pray again, here we go. Well, earlier this month, I felt the Lord prompt me, have your dad come out for Thanksgiving. My parents have been separated a couple of decades. I said, okay, that sounds good. But I really felt like, you know when you feel like the Lord tells you to do something? And it's like, oh, there's something's going to happen. You know how it's different than like, hey, eat a bagel? Okay, all right, that sounds good. But the Lord's like, hey, bring your dad out for Thanksgiving. And I feel like it was attached to a promise. I was like, let's do it. So I called my dad and said, hey, we'd love for you to spend Thanksgiving out here. He kind of wrestled, I don't know, you know, don't want to invade. I was like, dad, you're my dad. Come out for Thanksgiving. He's a tomato farmer. So convince him to come out. He comes out. And we have an amazing time. 
He's just getting to connect with my two little boys. It's just awesome. They're getting to know their grandpa. It's just so fun, like rich family time, right? But the night before, I just feel the prompt in my heart, like, I got to go for it. And I had gone for it kind of before, like shared the gospel, what had happened to me, my experiences with Jesus. But I felt the Lord being like, you got to go for it. And I was like, man, what about Lindy? And I feel the Lord's like, nope. But Lord, she's so eloquent. And when she smiles, it's much prettier than when I smile. She delivers the gospel. That'll go better. Plus, you know, father-son dynamic, I don't know. And I feel the Lord just won't let me out of it. Like, no, I want you to take a step of obedience. I want you to share. So I looked at my dad the last night there, Sunday night. I said, hey, just me and him on the couch. Kids are asleep. I said, dad, can I just go Billy Graham on you for five minutes? He kind of smiled. He said, sure. And I feel the Lord had told me one question asked, do you have peace with God? I said, do you have peace with God, dad? And he kind of looked up at the ceiling and back and forth said, you know, well, sometimes, but maybe not all the time. I was like, do you want peace with God all the time? I mean, I just went straight for it. I did go, I gave my best Billy Graham. It wasn't my best gospel because it's a father-son dynamic, but I gave the gospel with all of my heart. And I said, dad, I just don't want you to spend the rest of your years on earth not knowing you have peace with Jesus and a plan for the rest of your years on earth. I said, would you want to pray and surrender your life for real, everything, to Jesus tonight? And he looks at me and he smiles. He said, I would love to do that. Can we pray, son? Now, the reason I share that story is one, told you I'm excited, wired person. I'm still pumped. It's good news. Gospel's good news of great joy for all people, including my dad. I'm still excited. But for me, it has reinforced to me something that I too easily doubt, which was my personal prayer life with God. I had too easily discounted what God could do with me in secret. Because when I was sharing that gospel, I was like, it doesn't matter how good I share right now. I feel the wave of 16 years of prayer behind me that are crashing into this living room right now. And I know it's touching his heart. I can't control the presence of God, but man, I can pray and cry out that he comes. And he answered that prayer and he came in that living room. I know he touched my dad's heart. So I share that story, one, out of vulnerability to make it real for you. But number two, I want to encourage you that all the things, the exploits, the people being saved, all that stuff, it rides on your personal relationship with Jesus, specifically in the, the place of prayer. And I feel an invitation over every one of you in the room. There's a deeper place that God's saying, come with me. Come, no, I, it'll feel desolate, but not when you find me. The closet will only be boring for about five minutes. When I show up, it's exciting. Man, I can't tell you, most quiet times, I don't feel like it. But once I get there, I'm like, oh, he's here. This is better. I'm going to make a few, uh, few just quick calls and opportunities to respond to the word. I wish we had time to keep going. I only got two of the four stories. Guys, I'm not going to go three hours. You heard it was eight minutes. That was a joke. I wish we had time to talk about the paralytic and what it looks like when people unify for a breakthrough of another. They literally ripped a hole in a roof and put a guy before Jesus. Jesus wasn't mad. It says he looked at their faith, plural in the Greek, and it released a healing and forgiveness of sin for that guy on the paralyzed mat. I think that's coming here. Then Matthew gets called. Man, I wish I had time to talk about Matthew getting called. I'm telling you, people are gonna get called from all walks of life. He was a tax collector. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. People are gonna come from all walks of life here. And Jesus is able to put us on the same team. No matter your political lean, no matter your background, no matter what nation, no matter what culture, Jesus at the helm can put us all on the same team. And he can release his kingdom through us. 
I gave it to you in 30 seconds. There you go. So a few things we're going to respond. I felt like for some of you, man, you might feel like a leper today, actually. It might be hidden sin, or it might be that you've never surrendered to the mercy and grace of Jesus. I want to tell you very confidently and boldly, you can never earn your salvation. The reason he could do that is because he was crucified before the foundations of the earth. When Christ went to the cross, there was a sacrifice. There was bloodshed. There was payment made on your half and my half. The debt of sin that we could never pay, Jesus paid when he went up on that cross and he shed his blood. There had never been a perfect sacrifice until that moment. And the blood of the Son of God was shed. It means that there's an opportunity for you and for me to be forgiven no matter how dark, no matter how crazy, no matter how wild, no matter how distant you feel from God. I'm here to tell you today, there is nothing that could separate you from the love of Christ. And today, man, maybe you've played church or maybe you've come a bunch, but you've never fully surrendered to Jesus. Don't walk out the door without knowing that you have surrendered your life to Jesus and received a free gift of salvation from him. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. To receive it, you just got to give him your life. It's a beautiful exchange. You give him sin, you give him junk, and he gets you back his righteousness. It's a good deal. There's a reason why we have a lot of joy as Christians. We get the good end of the deal. So if you're here today, this is just the way I do it, is I don't have anybody bow their heads or close their eyes. I just make people stand up. Because if you make a bold confession before him, he'll make a bold confession before his father. And so it's a simple thing. If you want to respond, say, Chase, I want to surrender wholly to Jesus. I want to get every bit of my heart that feels leprous and feels like sin's just taken over. I want to get washed clean today. I want to experience mercy. I want to experience that touch that he will be clean. If that's you today, on the count of three, I just want you to stand up where you're at. And we're going to pray all together, eyes open, and agree with you right where you're at. So that's you. One, two, three, stand up. Come on. Come on. It's awesome. Stay standing. We're all going to pray a prayer right now of a fresh surrender to the grace and mercy of Jesus, and we're going to make him Lord. And then there's one more call if we have time for that. Is that okay? Lord, we just pray. Say this with me. In Jesus' name. And can the whole church, can we all pray this together? Those standing, those sitting. Can we say, in Jesus' name. Thank you for the price you paid on the cross. We repent of all our sin. We confess. We need a Savior. Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Be my Lord. Be my leader. Be my King. I turn from every wicked way. I say yes to following you, Jesus, with all of my heart. In Jesus' name. Okay. One thing we have to do right now, which says when one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. There's more than one. So can we just celebrate Jesus really quick? Come on. Okay. Thank you for letting me go a few minutes over, guys. Second response I want to have is I feel there's already people that are like, man, Chase, be quiet. I'm ready to respond to Jesus right now. If you're still sitting, you might be like, man, there's something in my heart. I'm like, Chase, I just feel like a fresh sign-up in my discipleship with Jesus that just like Peter, James, and John left everything and followed you, I want to give Jesus a fresh yes. You might have done this 10, 20 times. Sometimes it's good just to tell Jesus afresh, I'm surrendered. I'm all in as a disciple. I'll leave everything, whatever you ask, Lord, I'm all the way in. If you're here today and you're like, man, I need a fresh grace to walk in fully surrendered discipleship with Jesus, I just want you to stand up too. 
If you're hungry for that, do you want that? And I'm just going to pray for everybody, and then we're going to respond. We're going to celebrate Jesus and his glorious gospel. Lord, I just pray for everyone standing, Lord. Would, would there be a fresh grace on all of us released as we say yes to leave our nets and follow you, whatever that looks like individually, God. We say yes, Lord, even good things. We surrender them to you and say we want to follow you wholeheartedly, Jesus. I ask for a grace to come on every one of our hearts to follow you wholeheartedly, Jesus. Would you pour out a grace, a discipleship movement to break out in this church, God, where so many would come because they would experience the love and power and relationship with Jesus through all those standing. Let a grace come in Jesus' mighty name. Let's go ahead. Let's worship Jesus.